Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we have lived in our house 25 years now. It's hard to believe we've lived here 25 years. Um, and, and over those 25 years, I've done a lot of uh, it's kind of home improvement projects. Like the very first thing was to get the backyard in order and did a patio and laid the lawn and built a deck after that. And then started doing some interior work uh, a couple number of years ago now. Remodeled the kitchen, got that all done, and then uh, did the downstairs bathroom. Last year, the big project was the upstairs bathroom. And so every one of these projects, when I finished them, you kind of step back and I go, yeah, you know, I did that. You know, there's a kind of sense of, of gratification to be able to do something and see it turn out really nice. And it's very, very cool. Um, however, lately, all of my home improvement projects have been not so fun because after 25 years, stuff's starting to break and wear out. So like two weekends ago, I had to replace the garbage disposal. There is nothing gratifying about getting under the kitchen sink and pulling down the old and getting all that muck out of the pipe. and It's just disgusting. And then last weekend, uh, we finally replaced our garage door. Our garage door had been reinforced and braced, and I've done everything I can to make it last 25 years. But it's just like it creaks and it moans, and it was like, if it lasts one more pull up, it will be good. Uh, it was just finally beyond repair, so we had to replace that. Did that last weekend. And then Monday, Monday morning, I got up. I'm going to my car, and I'm walking by the hedge right in the front of our house, and I hear water running. Yeah. And I look in behind the hedge. I kind of pull the branches back. And, and the main valve, the, the gate valve that brings all the water, allows all the water into the house is leaking. Now, I had noticed this about six months ago. I had been back there for some reason. I kind of looked back there and I had noticed it was looking kind of corroded around the gate. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to replace that. I should do something about that someday. <laughs> And then actually a couple of months ago, I get same thing. I was back behind that hedge for some reason, and, um, and I noticed it was dripping. Not a steady drip, but every once in a while, you know, just a drip of water. And I thought to myself, I need to take care of that someday. <laughs> and then, of course, Monday I get up, and, and this is what I saw. I actually took a picture of it. Um, if you look closely on the right, uh, left-hand side of the pipe, there's a stream of water coming out there. And I began to realize someday was now here. I have to do something about that. Now, I had been putting it off for months and months and months because it's, it's, it's a pain job. It's stuck behind a hedge. So I was going to have to clip back, you know, hold back all of the shrubbery. And I was going to have to go out to the main water valve at the street and turn that off. And I was going to have to, I was going to have to go down to Ace and find a replacement for it. That's actually why I took that picture so that when I got to Ace, I would make sure that I bought the right part because you know how that is. This is what always happens. You get home and you bought the wrong one. So I took a picture to make sure I got the right one. I don't have the right tools. It's just going to be a pain. It's not going to be that gratifying anyway. So I put it off, put it off, put it off until it got to a point where if I don't replace it today, it's going to be a big mess by tomorrow. And I was thinking about that this week. Isn't that pretty much how we do our lives and our relationships? It's like we know there's something there that we ought to take care of, and we ought to really take care of it someday. But we put it off, and we stick it in the back of our mind, and we hope to kind of forget it and, and not have to deal with it. But every once in a while, it keeps cropping up, and we realize, I'm going to have to take care of that someday. And we just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until we finally get to the point where if we don't do something about this, we're going to have a big mess on our hands. 
And that's really what this freeway series is all about. It's about that stuff that you have pushed back, but it continues to affect your life. And you keep thinking to yourself, I'm going to have to take care of that someday. And this freeway series is about taking care of that stuff so that you could live in a new sense of freedom. And we started a number of weeks ago, talked about the idea of awareness. It's just being aware of their sticking points in your life. There's these places that you just, these hurdles that you just can't seem to get over. It's kind of like noticing there's some corrosion around the valve and I need to take care of this. And then from awareness, you move into discovery and you start to figure out what is it that's really driving this? Why am I stuck in this? Why, why can't I move forward? Why does this just, just hang on to my life? And that's kind of like finding out what part you need. <laughs> and then last week, we talked about the idea of ownership, that I'm actually going to take responsibility for it, and particularly for the stuff of my own, like my own stuff. And taking responsibility means I take ownership of this, and I begin to decide, okay, this is how my life is going to be from here on out. And today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Now, in ownership, you take ownership and responsibility for your own stuff. In forgiveness, you take care of the stuff that others have done to you. The stuff maybe that you didn't deserve. And, and just kind of show of hands this morning. How many would say that you have been hurt or pained uh, by someone. Either by a betrayal or an insult or, or an abuse. Or you've been lied to or cheated on. Or somehow you have been wronged by somebody else. Anybody in this room ever experienced that? Okay. Okay. So um, we're all in good company this morning. And, and by the way, you don't have to be a Christ follower to be able to take home what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, actually, let me ask a second question, kind of a follow-up. How many have had that hurt happen by somebody who was close to you that you didn't expect it from? Yeah. And that hurts all the more. So how do you deal with the stuff that happens to you? How do you deal with the stuff that other people bring to you? And the only way to do it is through this idea of forgiveness. And so that's what we're going to talk about, how to move forward and how to be free from the stuff that others have done to you. And we're going to look at one of Jesus' best-known parables. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 18. It's probably his greatest parable on the subject of forgiveness. And if you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 21. And it starts with Peter, one of his disciples, coming to him with this question. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Actually, some of your translations might say 70 times seven. And, and the reason for that is it's a kind of a tough sentence to, to translate directly because it's not really clear the order of the words there. Um, but what, what you need to know is when Peter is asking this question, he's thinking he's being pretty generous and pretty magnanimous by forgiving seven times because Talmudic teaching tended to go along the lines of three times. If you forgive somebody three times, you've done all that you can. After that, you don't have to forgive them anymore. Okay, so, so Peter is thinking he's being really generous with his forgiveness. And he says, should I forgive up to seven times? And then Jesus comes with the answer. He says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I want you to know that is not a numeric answer. It sounds like it because it's a number, but it's not a numeric answer. It's an emotional answer. It is, it is not like, okay, 490, okay, 491 times, then I don't have to forgive anymore. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's trying to do is evoke an emotional response. It's not a numeric answer. It's an emotional answer. It's kind of like common core math, okay? That's what this is. Yeah, okay. 
So um, Peter asks a question, and then Jesus goes on to explain his answer. And this is what he says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. It's a story about forgiveness. But it's really a story not just about forgiveness. It's about the freedom of forgiveness. Because in each one of these, there's the threat of imprisonment or being sold off into slavery. And Jesus is making a point here. He's talking about forgiveness, but he's talking about forgiveness in terms of the freedom that forgiveness brings. And, and, and I like what Lewis Smead uh, uh, says. In fact, I put it on the intro to the outline. Lewis Smead says, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then discover that the prisoner we set free is us. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to take that home with you. Because that's what forgiveness is about. It's about freedom. And the person that is set free when you forgive is you. There is a freedom that forgiveness brings when we forgive. So how do you do that? How do you discover that freedom of forgiveness? And it starts with this. I need to acknowledge my own need for forgiveness first. I've got to acknowledge my own need first. Um, we started with this last week when we talked about the idea of ownership. Jesus talked about removing the plank in your own eye first before addressing the speck in your brother's eye. And so it starts with taking ownership, that this, acknowledging my own need to forgiveness. And what you find is throughout the New Testament, there is a consistent connection between our forgiving of other people and God's forgiveness of us. And, and that it goes both ways, that both are required. Jesus taught us to pray. When he taught his disciples to pray, ta taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, how often have you prayed that prayer that way? Or how often have you just said, God, forgive me, and forgot about the other part? Jesus made the connection. The apostle Paul put it this way. He wrote to the Ephesian church, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, what? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And Jesus ended this story with these words. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
that it starts with God's forgiveness of you. But, but there's a connection between him forgiving you and you forgiving others. And you got to understand, your debt, my debt, is a debt that is beyond repayment. That, that's how Jesus tells the story. He says, there was a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay the debt, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, translation I read said 10,000 bags of gold. Some of your translations say 10,000 talents. And what you got to understand, this is a difficult one to translate. Again, because literally it says 10,000 talents. And, and a talent is not an amount. It's not a measure of quantity. It is a measurement of weight. And to truly get the sense of value of, of this debt, what we're talking about is it, it, it's not just bags of gold. It, it's a weights of gold. It's 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is equivalent to about 20 years of wages for a day laborer. 20 years of working for just one talent. And he owes 10,000 talents, which if you do the math, works out to this. He owes about 200,000 years worth of his wages to be able to pay back the debt. It's an impossible debt. If he started back in Jesus' day, he would be done by about 1% of the debt that he owed today if he lived that long. Okay, That's the enormity of that debt. This is an impossible debt. Jesus specifically uses, and he often does this in his stories, he uses exaggeration or hyperbole to make a point. He is trying to shock us. This debt is huge. Have you ever gotten surprised by a bill that was bigger than you thought it was going to be? I, I read a number of years ago. In fact, I actually looked it up on the web um, to refresh my memory. There was a woman in Florida about uh, two or three years ago racked up a $201,000 cell phone bill. And she couldn't believe it. $201,000. How in the world can that be possible? Well, it turns out she had two brothers on her plan. Both of her brothers were deaf and mute. And so the only way that they communicated was, was through texting. And it turns out that her, both of her brothers spent a couple of weeks together up in Canada. And she had not signed up for an international plan. And yes, Canada is a different country. It is not the 51st state. It is a country also. And you need an international. She got the bill between her, their textings and downloading of some videos. The bill was 43 pages thick. And she was on the hook. It was a legitimate bill. They, nobody had made a mistake. That was how much she owed. An impossible debt. Fortunately, her cell phone company renegotiated debt, reduced it to 2500 and gave her six months to pay it back. But, but it was a huge debt. It was an impossible debt. And Jesus is using that kind of a debt to get, he wants to get across, he wants to shock us that the debt that we have before God is impossible to repay. The debt of our sin before God is a debt that cannot be repaid. It's impossible. Now, I want you to think about that, okay? Because if you think about that, a pretty good person, I think a pretty good person would be someone who could reduce their sin to about three sins a day. Because if you think about sin, okay, it's not just what you do. It's, it's your actions. It's your motives. It's your attitudes. It's your thoughts. It's all of that kind of stuff. So a pretty good person would probably be able, maybe if they could, reduce their sin load to about three sins a day. That's a pretty good person. You multiply that over a year, that comes to over a thousand sins in a year. 
I did the math on my own life. I'm up to about 72,000 sins and counting. <laughs> if I was a good person and only sinned three times a day. See, that's, we just keep racking up this bill with God, if you will. And it's an impossible debt, and we need to realize that. And what happens is that Christ has canceled that debt and paid it in full. See, he goes on and he tells the story. This is what the master did. The, master's, the servant's master took pity on him. Now, that's the very same word that is often used for Jesus when he looked at the crowds and looked at the people um, in their pain and in their, in their hurt and in their, in their need for healing, and he had compassion on them. That's the same word. The servant's master had compassion on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. He canceled the debt. He didn't restructure the debt to pennies on the dollar. He didn't work out a payment plan. What he did was he canceled it. He had every right to recoup the debt. He could have done that. He had every right to sell this man off, his whole family and all of his possessions, sell him into slavery and got what he could for him. But instead, he canceled the debt completely. And understand what he did. When he did that, that meant that he was going to absorb the loss. 200,000 years worth of wages, he was going to absorb himself. Because that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness absorbs the debt. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was paying in pain and in suffering that debt that you and I deserve. He took on himself our brokenness, our hurts, our sin, and forgave us. I think one of the reasons why Jesus left us with that practice of communion that we celebrated today was to constantly remind us that we are forgiven. And we've been forgiven from a debt that we could not repay. And so the first step is realizing that we have a debt that's been forgiven. And then extend that same forgiveness to others. See, that's what the master got so burned up about. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. See, what's unconscionable to the master is you had a debt that you couldn't possibly repay. It would take you a lifetime. It would take you thousands of lifetimes to be able to repay that debt if it was possible. By comparison, shouldn't you be able to forgive the smaller debt? Now, forgiveness is hard. I don't want to make light of it. It is hard. It is difficult. Um, because we have this feeling that, that it's just not fair. That guilty people should suffer for their guilt. And we want to be the ones to make them suffer. <laughs> but we end up realizing, if we, if we stop and think about it, we are really only hurting ourselves. What Lewis Smead says is so true. See, we want, we get stuck in that moment. We get stuck with that hurt. We get stuck with the pain that that person inflicted on us. And, and the thing about it is, they have moved on with their life. They have not given it a second thought. If they even gave it a first thought, they've moved on. The one who is still stuck in that moment, still stuck with that pain, still stuck with that anger, is us. When, when, when we don't forgive, the only person we are really hurting is ourselves. 
Again, Lewis Smith, he says, unforgiveness sets a wounded person against himself and compounds the pain. And that is the truth. What we do is we make ourselves hostages to that situation, to that experience, to that person. And the only way, the only way out of that is through forgiveness. And here's the thing. The person who benefits the most from forgiving is the one doing the forgiving. You are the one that gets set free. So it's a process. And it starts with this. Identify the person and the offense. Forgiveness can't be generic. You can't just say, yeah, I forgive everybody because it doesn't work that way. Um, and, and, And that's really not forgiveness. When I forgive, what I do is I identify the person who hurt me and identify what it is that they did to hurt me. What I'm doing in that is I am holding them accountable. I'm saying, you hurt me, and this is what you did. And I'm holding them accountable to it. And that's a very, very important step in forgiveness. If you don't do that, you're not really forgiving. You might be excusing, you might be glossing over, but it's not forgiveness. In forgiveness, you identify the person, and you identify the offense. And that might be the only thing that that first servant did right. It says that when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. Now, This is a whole different currency. This isn't a talent. This is a denarii. And a denarii is really about one day's wage. And so this debt is actually a manageable debt. A hundred denarii, that's about three and a half months worth of work to pay back. But it is doable. And again, Jesus uses hyperbole. And one of the things he's trying to do is he wants us to compare the amount of the debt. He wants us to compare the size of the debt. Because this debt over here, this was unpayable. There was no way to repay this debt. This was beyond anybody's ability to repay. This debt here is doable. And, and, And that's what he wants us to see. What God has forgiven of us that's an unrepayable debt. What someone has done to us, that, that's doable. And he wants us to see the difference. There's a huge disparity in the size of the debt. It's a doable debt. And all he says is, let it go. It's not what the first servant does. Instead, he does what you and I want to do. He grabbed him, began to choke him, and said, pay back what you owe me. Now, here's the thing. No amount of hurting that other person back is going to get you freedom. It might give you a little bit of gratification for a short period of time, but it will not set you free. Hurting somebody back for the hurts they inflicted on you will not bring freedom, and that's what we're talking about. So I identify the person, I identify the offense, and then I decide to let it go. Make no mistake, forgiveness is an act of the will. It has to be a conscious decision. And it's got to start with this idea, you know, if I hold on to this, I am only hurting myself. Listen to the second servant's plea. He says, it says, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. If you read that, that is almost the exact same wording as the first servant's plea. It's almost exactly the same wording. It's like it it should have been kind of a a ring of a familiar bell for that first servant. Like, oh, wait, I've heard that somewhere before. Where did I hear that line before? Oh, yeah, that was me. (laughs) That was me. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he decides to throw him into debtor's prison. 
what he does is he throws him into prison until the debt can be repaid. Now, let me ask you this. What is the likelihood that a debt is going to be repaid by a guy that is stuck in prison? It's not going to happen. See, there's a little bit of gratification maybe for this guy of throwing this guy into prison for owing him this amount of money, but he's never going to get repayment. And that's the thing we got to understand. There is no amount of freedom that's going to come by inflicting this pain on that person back again or throwing them into some kind of prison of our own mind. It will never bring us freedom. It will never be repaid that way. So we've got to identify the person. We've got to identify the, the, the offense and then decide to let it go. Now, let me tell you this. That is only one step in the process. This is a long process. Just making the decision will not necessarily make it so. In fact, chances are you will make that decision. You'll decide to let it go. And then you will see that person in the grocery store driving down the street. And all of those old feelings are going to come right back up to the surface. And you're going to feel that hurt. And you're going to feel that anger. Or, or somewhere down the line, you're going to think about when that happened to you and that offense and that experience. And then you're going to think about it all over again. And it's going to create all those feelings and all that anger. Um, and maybe it'll bring into anxiety because you, your, your fear of ever being vulnerable like that again. And so you won't open yourself up to other people because you've been hurt so badly but that's the thing it's a process it's a process so you make the decision you decide to let it go and then along with that you commit to forgiveness you commit to the process of forgiving and that's why Jesus said I tell you not seven times but 70 times seven because it's going to take a while it's going to be an ongoing process. When you see that person, when you think of that experience, when that hurt and that anger and that bitterness begins to show itself again, it's a reminder, okay, I have not completed the process. And so I stop and I say, God, this is hard. I don't want to let this go. I, I want to let it go, but I don't want to let it go. I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. I need your help. The hurt is deeper than I thought. The anger has been with me longer than I realized. I need, I need to let go. And the deeper that you've been hurt and the longer that you have nursed it, the harder and longer it's going to be to forgive. So you've got to commit to forgiving. You've got to commit to the process. See, here's what you need to remember. This is about your healing. Because that person may never acknowledge the hurt that they gave to you. And they will never apologize or ask forgiveness. But you can still be free by letting it go. This is really about your freedom. Freedom happens in the heart of the forgiver. And whether that person ever acknowledges that hurt or ever acknowledges their need for forgiveness or ever asks for it, you can still be free when you choose to forgive. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Let God heal your heart. See, God has provided for us a way of freedom. He has provided a free way. It's a not so perfect path to freedom. But he leaves it up to you and to me. Again, Lewis Smeads. We do our forgiving inside our hearts. What happens to the people we forgive 
That depends on them. It's really about our own freedom. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.